UConn showed it is still one of the top men's college basketball programs in the country, and SDSU's March Madness run may have come at the perfect time. It's Wednesday, April 5th. I'm senior writer Owen Poindexter. It's good to be back, and this is Front Office Sports Today. UConn is the NCAA men's national champion after defeating San Diego State 76-59 on Monday night. Here to help us understand what this means for those two programs and college hoops more broadly is our reporter Amanda Kristovich. Welcome, Amanda. Thanks for having me. So UConn was for once a team that I didn't hear as much chatter as we're used to going into the tournament, but they were pretty dominant throughout. What does this victory mean for them? Yeah, so pretty much the prevailing conversation was that this um, this is UConn's fifth national championship on the men's side. So only three other programs in Division One have more. Um, so this has basically solidified them as one of you know men's college basketball's blue bloods. Um, it also you know marks sort of a return to UConn's former glory. The last time they won a national championship was almost a decade ago in 2014. Um, fun fact, my, uh, my, one of my cousins was a freshman at UConn at the time, so that was exciting. And I believe the women's team at UConn also won that year. They win a lot, so I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, so, you know, this is just a really, 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 I think, vindicating moment for UConn basketball um, you know, and I think that there's the debate over whether or not they're a blue blood is, you know, is over. And do you think that you know, they're not going anywhere anytime soon? You know, first victory in 10 years. Do you think that the next one is going to be uh, probably sooner than that? Oh, uh, well, if you look at UConn's history, uh, maybe not. But, um, you know, I, I think that one of the things that we've all been hearing over the past few weeks is that the transfer portal actually increases parity in college basketball. So even if the team loses um, some of their key players, you know, Dan Hurley has been recruiting really well. And, you know, folks were talking about how UConn being in the Big East also is good for recruiting. So I wouldn't be surprised if they were able to just continue with this momentum um, even if some of, you know, the roster looks a little bit different next year. And I'd imagine we'd see something similar at on San Diego State side. You know, they were the, the runner-up, um, made a very unexpected run to the finals. Does this put them on the map in a new way? Absolutely. Um, you know, San Diego State has been in the conversation for a couple different leagues, um, the Pac-12 being probably the top one, and then also the Big 12, as... Um, you know, the Los Angeles or not Los Angeles, but like greater L.A., Southern California area. Right. Because. San Diego State is in the recruiting hotbed, you know, the Southern California recruiting hotbed. And so the Pac-12 is going to want that when they lose USC and UCLA. The Big 12 is interested in a West Coast school. So, you know, the fact that. You know, they have a football team. It exists. But, you know, the fact that the men's basketball team, you know, has had such a strong showing um, just further proves that they are probably at the top of both of those Power Five conferences lists as far as realignment goes. 
Right. So because we're in this moment of flux among the college conferences, this run could be pretty well timed for them. Absolutely. Absolutely. So we also got uh, ratings from the women's side. Uh, what did those tell us about the growth of the game and just how, how people were uh, excited about the tournament? Yeah, so uh, the Women's National Championship on ABC averaged 9.9 million viewers, um, which was over 100% more than they got during last year's uh, national championship. To, to put this in perspective for our listeners, um, there were only like three New Year's Six bowl games that got more viewers than the Women's National Championship. Um, you know, there's a long list. I mean, most of the men's March Madness games didn't reach that point either. Um, I don't believe MLS games have ever topped that. Um, you know, NBA finals are usually around that amount. So uh, essentially what we're seeing is that women's college basketball has projected, you, you know, itself into the sort of top tier for sports media rights. Um, and what this means in the immediacy is that it's going to be very good for them renegotiating their uh, media rights contract, which is up in 2024. You know, and in the long run, it just, it's very vindicating for the women's basketball community, right? Who have been saying that if you put women's basketball on television, it was on ABC, it was on, you know, a cable network, people will watch and they were right. Um, you know, so the sky's the limit. Um, you know, I, I won't get into too much detail, but I wrote a feature over the weekend about how the women's tournament, despite shattering pretty much every measurable statistical record, still could continue to grow if certain structural barriers are removed. So, you know, we'll see. Uh, we'll see what happens. But, you know, I think this just shows that the appetite for women's college basketball in this country has never been higher. Yeah, and just anecdotally, it felt like the buzz around the women's side was at least and probably more so than than it was on the men's this year, for whatever reason. And uh, just to wrap us up here, you went to the the women's final four. You were at you, you were a presence throughout a lot of this tournament. Uh, just, just give us your thoughts on the experience of seeing these moments live. Yeah, I mean, it was unforgettable, like one of the highlights of my career so far to be at the women's final four, to be at um, the East Regional for the men's Sweet 16 and Elite Eight. Um, truly nothing compares to seeing these athletes uh, perform up close in person, um, you know, and then just to absorb the atmosphere. College basketball fans, um, you know, I would also put college football fans in this category, but like, you know, the energy that they bring is really like you you it's incomparable to any other sport in the United States in my opinion um on the men's and women's side and just to be able to absorb that atmosphere um to see how much work went into you know putting on these tournaments is a lot of work we're talking hundreds of volunteers you know um so, you know, 42 cameras for ESPN, things like that. So, um, you know, it was an incredible experience. And I'm just really excited to see where men's and women's basketball go next. Yeah, yeah, I think we all are. Amanda Krisovich, thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, thank you. 
Let's see what else is going on out there. On Tuesday, attorneys representing two former college athletes filed a federal antitrust lawsuit against the NCAA and the Power Five conferences. The attorneys are saying that in light of the Alston ruling, which allowed college athletes to profit off their name, image, and likeness, at least 5,000 and as many as 20,000 athletes are owed back pay for the 2018, 19, and 1920 seasons. They are claiming damages of at least $200 million and as much as $1 billion. Even for the NCAA, that's a lot of money. MLB TV, one of the oldest streaming services in the history of streaming, drew a record 172 million minutes watched across 15 MLB games on Thursday, up 42% from 121 million last year. Still early days, but the pitch clock looks like a massive success so far. And The Guardian is reporting that at least one potential bidder for Manchester United is worried that the Glazer family will ultimately keep the team. If they do sell one of the top bidders, Sheikh Jassim bid Hamad Altani could face regulatory questions from the Premier League and the UK government over the fact that he runs Qatar Islamic Bank's UK unit. Coming up next, our editor-in-chief Ernest Baker spoke to New York Liberty star Sabrina Ionescu. Ionescu was a college superstar for the Oregon Ducks, the number one overall pick in the 2020 draft, and her star has only gotten brighter in the WNBA. Sabrina and Ernest spoke on a wide range of topics, including women's basketball, working with Nike to design a shoe. It goes way beyond just slapping a brand and an athlete sponsor on a sneaker and building her business empire and a lot more. We'll have that conversation right after this. Here's what's trending now. You can defer payments of a full NetSuite implementation for six months. 33,000 companies have already upgraded to NetSuite, gaining visibility and control over their financials, inventory, HR, e-commerce, and more. Everything they need to reduce manual processes, boost efficiency, build forecasts, and increase productivity. Whether your business generates millions or hundreds of millions of dollars, take advantage of this special financing offer of no payments or interest for six months at netsuite.com slash frontoffice. That's netsuite.com slash frontoffice. All right, so Sabrina, you've been a beloved player for years at this point, but over that time, how do you feel like the fandom surrounding you has evolved? Yeah, I think it's grown, um, you know, from high school and just representing, you know, where I grew up to, you know, emerging myself into Oregon and, um, you know, how they value sports in the community there and growing the fans from averaging, you know, we our attendance average the first year was, 3,000 to finishing off at around 10,000. I've just continued to see it grow over the years. And so now entering, um, you know, playing professionally and entering this new space of understanding that my reach is far beyond just the city that I play in, but across the country and across across the world, it's something that I keep top of mind and continuing to try and reach and um, relate to fans across and the how world. How do you feel about where women's basketball and the WNBA is headed in general, just because you know, at front office sports, we're always talking about viewership and attendance and similar to what you said about Oregon. I mean, look at the league. It's every year the playoffs are up, the finals are up. And how do you feel about what's happening in that realm? It's grown. I think, you know, every year there's steps in the right direction. There's more viewers. It's on TV more. Attendance rates are going up. And so that's super important that it's trending in the right direction, but there's still a long ways to go. Uh, and I think that's the exciting part is just understanding that we've not gotten to where we want to be and 
being able to be one of the 44 players that are able to continue to push the league to be better and just create more opportunities for those girls that are playing in college and high school that have aspirations of playing at this level and creating that opportunity for them to do so. And so um, it's exciting to see where it is now, but also where it's heading to. What do you think are a couple off the top of the head of like the most important things that you'd love to see develop in coming years? Well, I think obviously starting with um, paying players more, um, more teams, there's only 12 teams and there absolutely needs to be more, you know, there needs to be expansion teams and just the opportunity for more players coming out of college to be able to play at the professional level. And I think just TV deals and being able to continue to be present on um, you know, primetime TV and allowing a lot of young kids to be able to watch and get to relate to those players by having the visibility to do so. Great. Um, a lot has been said about your Nike sneaker. You have your own signature shoe, and it's also groundbreaking in nature, unisex collection. Just as a young woman who had a dream and is now making history, what has that been like for you? And I'm sure you've had to answer this a million times, but I'm trying to trying to get like that that real this is what I think about when I'm when I'm at home and I think about how far I've come. Like what what has that been like for you? Yeah, it's still kind of hard to wrap my head around it. Um just being able to like wear my sweatshirt and have my be able to look down and see my logo is you know, it's something that I'm not going to ever get tired of because I think it just is this fond appreciation for um, the little girl who just started playing for the love of the game and now being able to continue to live out my dream and not taking any day for granted and not taking any opportunity that I have to, um, you know, give back, represent myself and continue to change the game. And so it's been super um, exciting. It's such a blessing to be able to have that partnership with Nike and understand the their belief in me and, and how we're wanting to change the world. What was it like working with them, particularly like from a design standpoint, like so much of your work is the gym, the court, et cetera. Now you are in the boardroom, the office, or I imagine with the designs in, involved in a whole new industry. Um, what was that experience like? Well, I feel like I'm a designer now. Yeah, um, I just, mean, you are. Yeah, just learning. Um, obviously, Nike is one of one in that space and being able to design the best looking shoe, but also the most innovative and um, has absolutely top tier technology. And so it's been um, super, you know, kind of eye opening to understand, you know, all the work that gets put into creating this product three years later and uh, being in on all those meetings of understanding why we're putting in this technology and what that's going to do uh, for your performance on the court has been something that I've been able to learn and I'm excited to continue to evolve over time. Yeah, what's something that maybe surprised you about the process, you know, just really behind the scenes when it comes to creating a signature shoe? Just understanding that you're able to create it any way that you want and Nike's um, you know, whole, you know, being with a signature athlete is listening to the voice of the athlete. And so, you know, telling them what I want in a shoe, whether it's comfort support um, and having, you know, the tools to be able to implement that in a shoe is something that I didn't even know existed. And so it's been eye opening. It's, it's been a pleasure working with them and I'm excited for the future. So Nike is one huge part of what you're doing in business, but I know you have other investments. I know 
you know, so much precedent has been set when you look at the LeBrons of the world who have empires, production studios, owning parts of teams. Um, does that inspire you? Do you think about long term how you want perhaps your business empire to go um, from the playing days and beyond? Absolutely. I think, you know, from my rookie year and who I partnered with, that was something that I kept top of mind of, you know, wanting these blue chip brands that are, you know, bigger than just the sport that I'm playing and how that's going to continue to change, um, you know, change the game. And so from the, from the beginning, that's been something that has been super important to me and understanding that, um, you know, the ball will stop dribbling one day and, and what does that look like for me? And so starting my foundation here and, you know, in the next couple months and continue to give back in communities and um, obviously being able to be in this space where you're able to look at LeBron, look at other players in the league that are, you know, standing, standing up for what they believe in and building their empires and how that's influencing society is something that, you know, I pay close attention to and trying to figure out what my passion is. Well, last thing before we get out of here, we're here in Vegas. We're at Mint Collective. I just saw you speak about what's happening in the collectible space and trading cards and just this whole new culture that has emerged. What has this like today been like for you and what do you hope to see evolve when it comes to collectibles and trading cards? I saw a guy got up there talking about how much one of your cards is worth um, and I also you know, you express that, okay, this is new to me. I'm, I'm beginning to understand the value behind this, but what does it all mean when you're the person on the card, even beyond like the, wow, I'm humbled, this is incredible, but just when you think about your likeness, when you think about the fact that there are people who, there's a market created for your likeness um, and your accomplishments, like what does that mean to you? Yeah, it, it's, you know, today has been eye-opening just because I've been able to learn so much. And I think understanding from, you know, the, the viewpoint of the collectors and how they feel, because for me, a lot of it is I'm, I'm, I'm on the other side of just signing and not really understanding how that can empower someone and how that can make someone feel. And so I think today, just understanding from a collector's point of view of how, how much joy and pride and dedication they take in to kind of integrating the two sides and, and how they want to experience a lot of what we experience from a game point of view, but also just on the collectible side of things. So for me, it's just kind of, I've grown a fond appreciation for it and understanding of, of how important that is, how that, you know, important that is from a collector's point of view and what I can continue to do, um, you know, with the partnerships that I have to create the best experience for them. All right, well, thank you so much for your time. Thank you very much. Best of Great luck with everything. You. Thank you. All right, likewise. That's it for today. The Masters starts tomorrow. Let us know what you think of the show by shooting us an email at today at frontofficesports.com. We will see you tomorrow.